0: I hope you hear my heart when I say this. Charismatic legalism is a thing, and it is creating more bondage than freedom. I liken it to jumping through hoops. Here are the hoops. If I just prayed in tongues more, if I raised my hands, shouted louder, and jumped higher, if I rebuked the devil more, if I watched the power of my words, if I had another person lay hands on me, then I could get free. If I did more for the kingdom, if I prophesied more powerfully, if I went through that fire tunnel one more time, Fill in the blank to whatever thought any one of us in these movements have had. Where is Christ in all of this? It is works-based and self-centered, rather than trusting in the finished work of Christ Jesus on the cross for our sins, and for us to have his righteousness imputed to us. Forgive me for saying this, but for all the talk of desiring relationship over religion, there is a disconnect. Legalism is exhausting, because there is no rest in the peace of God, and truly enjoying him. Regardless of times in the valley or times on the mountaintop, the gospel is lost in all of this. There is no good news when your works depend upon your work in having victory. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Six, Scribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six, Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Lovesick Scribe. Charismatic legalism. You may be wondering, what in the world is that? If you've never been a part of this movement, and it's not really anything that I've necessarily heard when I was part of that movement, but it was something that came to mind when I was sitting and thinking about some of the things that I had participated in through the years things that i had thought really had brought me freedom that had catapulted me to another level spiritually and made me super special and powerful and you know you know dot 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 all the things that we think of when we think of the the things spiritually that we can grow in and it's no different really Any part of religion, whether it's Christianity or anything else, can become legalistic. We can become legalistic in our manners and our ways about things, really being set in those. And not in a way that I mean that is biblical, but in a way that it's not true freedom as far as being a Christian is concerned. Not having true freedom in Christ and these things though i know that that this can really rub people the wrong way especially when there are people that are going to say you don't understand these things if you can say that or you didn't you don't understand true freedom or you're being legalistic by mentioning these things and being closed minded and And when I looked up the definition of legalism, Merriam-Webster had this to say about legalism. It is a strict, literal, or excessive conformity to the law or to a religious or moral code. And so a lot of times, us as Christians, the very first person we go to when we think of legalism is a Pharisee, right? We think of the Pharisees that were chastised by Jesus In the gospel, we think of this person's probably dressed in long robes, that looks really regal, that looks distinguished, but yet we think of them as a whitewashed tomb with dead man's bones like Jesus told them. We see them holding to the law. We see them being very strict about that. Why are your disciples, Jesus, doing this, doing that when the law says this, which also, by the way, one of the things that the Pharisees corrected or tried to correct Jesus for was not even part of the law. It was part of oral tradition. It was the hand washing that you see in the Gospels when he says, "Why do your disciples not wash their hands, but so and so's do, and we do?" and and when we talk about the legalistic thing, legalism, this is what it's referring to is that it's a strict literal or excessive conformity to the law, to or to a religious or moral code, like that definition says. But the problem with the Pharisees wasn't ne- was not necessarily that they. Uh, were trying to keep the law or knew what the word said. But for one thing, they weren't seeking after Christ. They could not see him before him, which we know that that fulfilled scripture, that their eyes were closed and their ears were closed in seeing and hearing and understanding. And the the scripture was fulfilled so that Christ could die on the cross for our sins. So we know that that was God's work in that, doing that all along the way. But also too, we see with the Pharisees that they were not only trying to, put the law on people but they were also having oral tradition that they that the people couldn't live up to so they were putting on additional burdens that the people could not meet. And so when we when we talk about legalism in this sense, when we look at the Pharisees and such, that's usually what our mind goes to. We think, well, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be one of those people that's just so rigid and has no freedom spiritually that I don't want to impose things on people and tell them that if they don't do these these things, if they don't do this and they don't do that, then they just can't have God or they can't have true freedom in Christ and yet, I saw this in this movement. It's not just in the charismatic movement, which I will say this: being in, being formally in the charismatic movement, there is this air that you will find that when people believe that when they are tongue-speaking, devil-casting out, prophesying, that their their mind tends to think, "I cannot be legalistic." Because I'm more spiritual. I'm spirit-filled. I-, I need to do a topic on that uh, another for another day about what it means to be spirit-filled. But you you'll have this happen. I mean, I know for myself, that's where my mindset was. And when you would hear people talk, if you, you know, do these certain things, this makes you more spiritual. It makes you closer to God. You're more intimate with God. You're not a dead man's bones in a uh, encased in a whitewashed tomb. You're not religious. You know, there's a talk about, I don't have religion. I have relationship. And people don't realize some of the times when they say things like that, what they're really saying. They haven't really thought it out. And I know that that doesn't sound very nice, but I was one of those people that said things like that. I don't want religion. I want relationship. When in my ignorance, I didn't realize that it's both. Christianity is, in fact, a religion, and it's a religion in being in right relationship with God. Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. See, you can have both. See, even even Scripture in James talks about pure religion. So we need to understand what we're talking about before we say things that are just really good, catchy phrases that people amen or they like or they share on their social media or they regurgitate. Because we want to say things that are going to truly honor Christ and they're going to They're going to convey the truth of what his word says. So charismatic legalism. This was something I thought about about a year ago when I was thinking about the different things that I saw go on in this movement. And just to give you a little handful of things, this isn't, you know, an exhaustive list. But legalism in and of itself is exhausting because what happens is... You don't even realize it in the types of movement like this where there's all these meetings and conferences that you go to. It seems like you go from one meeting or one service, one conference to another, and you're chasing after the move of the spirit. You're chasing after that next high. Really, that's what it is. You're chasing after this next thing that can catapult you into another level with God. You're chasing after that next prophetic word that could get you to the place with God. You're chasing after that next encounter that's going to, you think, break the shackles off of you. And you're never going to struggle with anything ever again because you're just going to be floating on a cloud. And you're going to be so super spiritual that nothing's going to touch you. That you're going to just be like a bulletproof, right? That's what we have in our minds. If we're going to be truly honest about those of us that have been a part or you're maybe still part of that, that's what's going on in your mind is you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to attain this place in God that I'm invincible and I'm so super powerful and God loves me and has a plan for me and I'm going to do great exploits for him. And we're not facing reality. We're not facing the fact that, or, or even we're not even looking at what Scripture really says in context of. The fact that believers in Christ are truly going to be persecuted, that there is going to be suffering in this life, that there are going to be things that happen that we don't understand, but that we are told to persevere, that we are told to endure with and to trust in the Lord, that we are told to lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge him in our ways. We are told to follow him and to trust in him and to put our faith and hope in him and to... Understand there's moments that we're going to be weak and that doesn't mean that we have to be ashamed, but that we run to God in those moments of weakness. Going back before I do that, going back to that definition of, in Merriam-Webster when it talks about the conformity, the strict excessive conformity to the law or to a religious or moral code. I don't know if you can see it or not as a charismatic or former charismatic, whoever's listening to this, or doesn't know anything about the charismatic movement, but maybe I'll give you a bird's eye view into it for those that may not be aware. I can see, like stepping back now, I can actually see the oral traditions in that, like the Pharisees. See, that's what's ironic, is that for all the talk of not wanting to be a Pharisee a lot of times... I know for myself, I'll just speak for myself. I don't want to be accusatory towards anybody else. So I'll tell them myself and maybe you can relate. I can see the Pharisee in me that was there in the charismatic movement. I can see the Pharisee. I can see the one that was trying to say different things that were in the word that weren't even there a lot of times, but also too, I can see the oral tradition, the things that were passed down that I heard that I parroted and I told other people and I was in bondage myself and didn't realize it. And then the things I was saying was bringing bondage to other people. And I didn't realize it because I thought that it was freedom. It was a trust in self and a contempt um, that that was adopted. And it's been adopted by a lot. And like I said, it doesn't have to be, it can be in anywhere in religious beliefs and stuff. It doesn't, I'm just talking about, but you would hear things like, Well, your faith is based on the amount of money that you give or it's the amount of faith that you have. And when we talk about faith, that was very vague. It's not talking about, in my perspective of understanding it now, when faith was talked about, it's not pointing back to our hope and eternal life in Jesus Christ. It was your faith to believe in what you were saying the power of your words to believe that God, uh, that God was going to do whatever you said he was going to do. Almost like we're sovereign and God's not that he had to listen to what we had to say and do what we had to do because he gave us dominion and he was, his hands were tied and he wasn't able to do anything until we spoke it into existence. That's not in scripture. That's a God of our own imagination and our own creation and That's not okay. That's unbiblical because God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He is beyond our full comprehension. There's mysteries of God that we don't fully understand as finite human beings. But yet in the movements like this, you would hear things like, well, you know, your healing is based on your level of giving. If you haven't been giving, then you've just left a door open for the devil to come in and wreak havoc on your finances. Or your healing is based on your level of faith. If I pray for you and you don't get healed, well, you know what it is? It's your fault. Because your faith wasn't strong enough. You didn't believe enough. There's probably hidden sin in your life somewhere. And you need to confess that. God can't heal you until you you do all these other things. Do you see how that brings bondage to people? And yes, there may be sin in people's lives, but that doesn't say the reason why they're not getting healed. That doesn't say the reason why they're not prospering in their finances. What do you tell someone when they've given every last cent that they have and they still don't have the, quote, breakthrough in their finances? What do you say to that person? What do you tell them? You know, when I think about the gospel, and I didn't think about the gospel. Sad to say I didn't think about the gospel in this way when I was in this movement. But I want to throw this challenge out with this, to to challenge that type of mindset is the true gospel of Jesus Christ can be ministered anywhere in the world. Because I've been in different countries. I've been in uh, parts of Africa, the, some of the poorest parts of Africa. I've been to El Salvador. I've been to different parts of Central America. Um, but I've been to Africa a couple of times, and that was life-changing when I went because of many different reasons. But I saw the level of poverty there, but I yet I saw the level of joy in the midst of poverty. And when I think back on times like that, I think, wow, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the true authentic gospel, not the health and wealth, prosperity gospel, not the name it and claim it, not that type of thing, or not the, you know, miracle signs and wonders all the time, manifestations, gold dust, feathers, uh, why those things are not being tested by people and and they're just being taken as fact, I'll never understand that now, but The true gospel of Jesus Christ can be ministered anywhere in the world. And it's the same and offering the same promises, which is repent and believe, turn and put your faith in Christ and be given the promise of eternal life. Repent and believe and be transformed from being a child of wrath to being a child of God, to being a co-heir with Christ and having eternal life. The true gospel of Jesus Christ can be ministered anywhere in the world. But this gospel can't, because when you begin to minister this type of legalism to people and you say, if you don't have enough faith, if you don't give enough, you're never going to get healed. You're never going to get pregnant and have that baby you want. Your family member is never going to get saved if you don't give enough and you don't have enough faith. If you don't jump through all these hoops, and I'll talk about the hoops in a minute too. There's more hoops. There's so many hoops. It's like a circus. We don't even realize it. And I hope that whoever's listening today... And if you're still part of this movement, understand this, I am not mocking, I am not making fun of or scoffing or anything, but I hope that this will take the blinders off and help you to see something, that God is enough, Christ is sufficient, His Word is sufficient, what He did on the cross is sufficient. You're not promised a primrose path in this world. You're not promised that you're going to stand on platforms in front of thousands upon thousands of people. You're not promised that you're not going to have sickness in your body at some point that you're going to struggle with. And that you're going to have to continue to trust the Lord in and to help you. And to, and that maybe God uses doctors. To help heal that. You're not promised that you're not going to struggle in your finances at some point. You're not promised that you're going to have family members that you love that die too soon. Or that you're going to have children that walk away from God. You're not promised any of that. And anybody who tries to make that promise to you, whatever the movement is called, whatever type of church is, they are not reading the Bible. There's no promise that we are not going to suffer in some way, shape, or fashion. It's not there. But what is there is the hope in Christ and that we fix our gaze and our eyes upon him and that we trust in him no matter what we go through. And so when you look at this, the true gospel can be ministered anywhere. Think about it. This gospel telling people you need to give more in order to see something happen, you need to do this and do that, you can't preach that in Africa. You can't preach that in in India. You can't preach that in the poorest of poorest places. That's not the gospel. Prosperity in finances is not the gospel. Yes, God allows people to have nice things, to be stewards over things, but there are wicked people that have those as well, and they've not heard the gospel. So evidence of physical property in our lives, physical possessions, nice possessions, is not evidence that we know Christ. It's not. And the true gospel, which is priceless because of what Christ did for us on the cross, that can be ministered anywhere in the world, and the result is still the same. Souls are saved from hell, and they're given eternal life. It's the same. So you can't preach wealth and prosperity anywhere in the world, and the same results happen consistently. But when you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God softens people's hearts to receive the gospel, The outcome is the same. It's eternal life through Christ alone. So when I talk about charismatic legalism, if you're still listening to me and hanging on, you may have already seen this. You may have seen the things I was talking about. So I made that one statement about, you know, not giving enough or not having enough faith. There are teachings, if you do not pray in tongues, then you are not spirit filled or that you're not even saved. I've heard people say that. And let me just assure those out there, of this, that is not in scripture. For one thing, I can point you to First Corinthians chapter 12. And when you see the questions that Paul asks at the end, that there is this teaching that if you do not pray in tongues, you're not spirit-filled. There is this distinction made in the charismatic, hyper-charismatic movement of someone who is truly spirit-filled is going to speak in tongues. That's the evidence. That's what I was taught. I was taught that if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't, you're not spirit filled. That was the evidence of having the Holy Spirit indwell you when in actuality, when we read scripture at the moment of salvation is when the Holy Spirit indwells us. And so we're making a distinction here, whether we realize it or not, there's a distinction being made of the haves and the have-nots of those that have the spirit and those that don't have the spirit that are dry and dead and shriveled up and like a prune, and they look like they've been drinking pickle juice all their lives and sucking on lemons because they don't have the Holy Spirit. When we don't have a proper, when we're saying things like that, we in actuality don't have a proper understanding of what it means to be spirit-filled in accordance with scripture. And I certainly didn't. I, I was one of those that was guilty of saying, well, you know, is that person spirit-filled? When that was really ignorant on my part to say such a thing when I should be asking do they know Christ? Do they, do, have they heard the gospel? Have they heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ to where they can repent and believe and the Holy Spirit can come and dwell them and then learning what, what it truly means according to scripture, what it means to be filled by the Spirit? Because there's a couple of different meanings by that that you'll see in the passages that we won't go into today. But that was another thing that I was taught, that is taught. And there's some people, now I didn't believe that about if you didn't have, if you weren't praying in tongues that you weren't saved. But I have heard people say that. And I've actually been able to talk to those people, converse with them through writing and such. And most of the time it's not well received, but I still offer correction on that in accordance with scripture when I hear someone say that. Some leaders have even hindered critical thinking and questioning by teaching. If you touch God's anointed, then disaster is going to come on you, sickness is going to come on you, you're going to suffer loss in your money, and on and on and on, and that this will come in the form of sickness and suffering to you, essentially. And at the same time, it negates the teaching of, well, God doesn't put sickness and suffering on people. So it's it's kind of a double speak that's coming out when, when that's said. Some will say that if you do not praise and worship exuberantly, I remember being in atmospheres like this, that leaders would get upset when they would see people not worshiping um, like they should or exuberantly and they would, you know, rebuke them or chastise them or, you know, say things about them from the pulpit. If you're not praising exuberantly, if you're not shouting and jumping and laughing and rolling on the floor and being joyful. Now, not everybody's like this, but I'm just telling you from things that I've seen firsthand, then you can be viewed as dead. You're viewed as not as spiritual. You're, you're just not feeling the Holy Spirit. You're just not in the river. You're not moving with the Holy Spirit. If you're not willing to raise your hands and do all these outward manifestations, if you aren't willing to do something, then you're dead. You don't have the spirit. You just don't, you're just not in it. You're not part of our tribe. You're not part of the move. You're not. You're not. You're not with it. And I saw that. Uh, it's and it was almost as if your emotional reaction was the catalyst that was needed for the atmosphere to shift. Uh, you know, I remember being in, at, in in services where if the atmosphere quote atmosphere of the service was not going in the direction that the minister wanted you know they could make the claim that there were demonic present demonic influences there that that people needed to battle and do spiritual warfare against that's another thing spiritual warfare if you don't if you don't do this if you don't rebuke the devil if you don't bind satan if you don't do all these other things then the devil's going to attack you if you don't operate in power when you pray again Oral tradition that's passed down. These works-based things that are telling you, if you don't do something, then God can't do this. If you don't do this, then God can't do that. If you don't move in power, then the Holy Spirit is quenched and He's not going to be able to do what He wants to do. What a small Holy Spirit has been made when we say that we can have that much power over the Holy Spirit and when Scripture has been misappropriated... When it says, do not quench the spirit and not reading it in the full context of what it is. We've really made a small, puny God. And I'm not saying that about our God who got the true living God that's modeled in the scripture and that we know actually exists. And his hands are not tied and he is not bound by our words and he is not bound by our actions and he is sovereign. He's a sovereign, almighty God, and He doesn't need our permission. The Holy Spirit doesn't need our permission. Jesus Christ doesn't need our permission. What a small God that we have made, and we don't even realize it. Even when we love the Lord, we don't realize what a small God we've made. A puny God, when we say, well, God can't do anything without me. He can't do anything unless I do this. He can't move. The Holy Spirit can't do what He wants to do until I shout my socks off. Until I jump so high that my bobby pins come out of my hair. That he can't do anything until I do something. Do you see, first of all, do you see the legalism in that? Do you see that it's all based on your actions? And on top of that, what's even worse is that it is creating a God that caters to what we want. And that we think God is at our beck and call. Now, we may not think that. and And please hear me. I did not think that either. I did not think that God was at my beck and call. I thought I was honoring God and worshiping God and reverencing God the right way. But what I was doing was I was being very legalistic in my thinking, and I was also creating a God of my own imagination that couldn't do anything unless I told him to, or I said something, or the power of my words, or me worshiping, or having this emotional emotional response, or this emotional moment that... I thought if I didn't have those emotional moments, if I didn't feel something in the service, then God wasn't in it. We've got to get away from that. And then there's nothing wrong with emotions. Please hear me on that too. There's nothing wrong with emotions. God gave us emotions for a reason. God demonstrates that he had emotions in the Bible, that he expressed anger, grief, wrath, The joy that he has, that that he gives to us, peace, there's lots of different emotions that we can have. But what the trouble that we run into is that we begin to also use our emotions as the barometer of truth, as I've talked about before, and that's a bad place to be in because then we just see it through our own eyes and we see it through our own emotions. And then we get into this. It's another form of legalism. If I don't have this certain manifestation happen, then God's not here. And it's just dead and dry. It has to be this way that I want it or it nothing can happen. That's legalistic in its sense because you're making a strict code to abide by. And it is in the charismatic church, regardless of what anybody wants to say or admit, It is in the charismatic church. It is a real thing. And when you're telling people that if you don't worship in a certain way, then you're dead and you're spiritually dry and you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't go through a fire tunnel and feel something, there's something wrong with you. If you don't jump through all these hoops, like I talked about, if you don't do this and do that, if you don't, uh, if you're struggling in your life, then there's something wrong with you. If you're struggling in any area of your life, you just don't have enough faith. You know, you you just don't you just don't know the Lord really. You you need to go get inner healing. You need to go get deliverance done. Telling this to professing believers in Christ that you need to go have a demon cast out? I'm sorry. I'm going to pull the scripture card here. Where is that in scripture? And I've talked about this before. Where is that in scripture that we are to go to a an inner healing and talk about who we have the strongest relationship with, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. Where are we told in Scripture that we need to go seek help out from someone that's going to tell us to envision, have our own envisioning of Jesus Christ in our mind and that he's in that former memory? We're not told to do that. See, we're creating legalistic ways for people to jump through hoops and they're still not free because they're not understanding that in this life that they are not going to have perpetual bliss all the time and that they're going to have this great encounter at every turn in their life and that they're never going to struggle. And what you do is you create this thing in people where if when they do begin to struggle... If they do have some sort of sickness that they encounter, if they do have some sort of family member that that dies suddenly or their children begin to rebel against God, essentially, is what they're doing. If you have these different things that happen, if you have a marriage that falls apart, you have, you know, someone that loses their job and then they're struggling in their finances and they've done all these things. And what that what that does is it shipwrecks people's faith. Because then they realize, they don't even realize it, but they may, that they put their faith in something other than God. And that they've tried to do all these things in their own power, in their own works, and it's not working. And they're exhausted. Some people are exhausted and they don't realize it. And I truly do hope that you hear my heart in this today. What this is doing is it's not creating freedom, it's creating bondage. And I'm not saying that if you're a charismatic, that you're that all charismatics are bound up in and, and there's no freedom. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not lumping everybody into that. I will say that there are things that are prevalent in this movement, for example, because I know people are going to say, well, what about those that aren't charismatic? They're legalistic too. Yes, they can be. Yes. Anybody can be legalistic in any religion, but we're talking about charismatics today. And the truth of the matter is, is that there are all these, these things that have been created, these hoops for people to jump through and, People may relate to this. You know, if you're, if you have been struggling or you're struggling in your life and your mind immediately goes to, well, if I just prayed in tongues more, if I just worshiped louder, if I just walked the floor more in my home and ran um, a path in my floor where I've prayed and I can tell people about what I've done for God to do something, if I could just watch the power of my words. If I could just watch that, and if I could make sure that I didn't say the wrong thing, then God could do what he wanted to do. If I, if I had another person lay hands on me, if I had so-and-so lay hands on me, let's take it a step further. If I had this particular person lay hands on me, then I could see a breakthrough. Then I would see God do what he wanted to do. If I could do more, if I could do more for the kingdom of God, then I would have what I needed. If I went through that fire tunnel one more time, then dot, dot, dot. You know, you, you fill in the blanks to whatever it is that you think. If if I could have a manifestation in one of these services, if I could just have some gold dust fall on me, if I could just have a feather fall in my house, if I could see an angel, then, then I would know that I was at another spiritual level. If I could have God take me to heaven like he does all these other people, then I would know. You know, like I said, the list goes on and on and on. And I don't know if you can see it or not, but there is legalism all over this. And I have talked to people that have come out of this movement. And this is the prevailing thing that I hear from a lot of people that have come out. And they'll reach out to me, they'll message me or email me or call me, and they'll say, I was exhausted. I was so tired and I didn't realize it. I was just wore out in this movement because I kept feeling like I wasn't doing enough and I was praying and I was, you know, giving and I was going to services and I was doing all the things that was expected of me and I was just exhausted and that's the thing and I've already said this and I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating legalism, whatever kind of legalism, but when we're talking about charismatic legalism here, it's exhausting because you're not relying on Christ. You're not you're not leaning on God. You're trying to do things in your own power and in your own might and in your own understanding and there's oral traditions that you're trying to abide by in addition to other things and trying to think and and believe that you're following scripture where a lot of times there's scripture that's being misappropriated out of context in order to push forth an agenda a lot of times to get people to continue to do these things so that they'll continue to give and they'll continue to come to services and they'll continue to, to serve the man or woman of God's vision. You know, that's another thing too. If I just serve this person's vision, then God will see my vision come to pass. That was taught in this movement. That seems rather manipulative, to be honest with you, because it seems like we're people are being used for someone else's agenda rather than to truly serve and to honor Christ. But I hope that if you're in this, that you will step back and really think about what I'm saying and consider... The fact that there is legalism that's going on here. And I don't want to leave you in whether in writing or in this podcast without hope. Christ is not in this. I mean, when you talk about if I do this, if I worship harder, if I give more, if I prophesy louder, if I, you know, if I do these things, then this will happen. Christ is, where is Christ in this? That's the main thing looking at this now is going, where is, where is Jesus in all of this? Where is he? Where is he being exalted? Where is he being lifted up? Where is the gospel in this? It's missing. It's lost. It's lost in all of this because the good news is, hey, this is the good news. You ready for it? This is the good news that's going to be ministered to you through that type of mindset. The good news is is that, yeah, Jesus died for you, but you still have all these things that you've got to do in order to be super spiritual. And if you don't do them, then you're dead. And you're a Pharisee. And if you question any of this in any way, shape, or fashion, you have a religious spirit that needs to be cast out, even though you're a professing born-again believer, and you are a Pharisee. That's not good news. It's not good news to be told Well, you're a born-again believer, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but if you don't have sozo done to you every few years, then you're not going to be truly free. If you don't have deliverance ministry done to you, then you're never going to know what true freedom is. If you don't pray in tongues more, then you're not spirit-filled. If you don't pray in tongues at all, you're not spirit-filled. If you don't do all these things that we've made as a strict moral code in the charismatic church, then you're not free, and you are not part of the elite kingdom of God that's going to do great and mighty exploits there's no good news in that the good because the good news is is lost in all that there's no good news when it it all depends on your works that is works based religion when it all depends on you and the power that you have to get something done it's based on our abilities that's not good news and I want to leave you with the good news. I want to leave you with hope because we can't just deliver a critique of something and leave it at that and say, okay, this is the problem. Have a nice day. <laughs> I don't want to do that to you because that that's not even, that's not biblical in and of itself. What I want to present to you is hope and present to you the gospel because the gospel is the solution. The gospel is the answer. Going back to scripture and what it says in context and being a student of the word and wanting to further intimacy with God, guess what? Reading the Bible and understanding it in the proper context, that's vital for us. It's vital for us to stay in the word daily and to rest in God, to trust him, to put our faith and hope in him. And you're probably saying, well, that's easy for you to say. That's easier said than done. Hey, I get it. I get it. That's what we're told to do. We're to trust in Christ. We're to put our hope and faith in him alone. And this is the hope I want to leave with you is that that hope can only be found in Jesus Christ and in his work and not in our own doing. You know, Ephesians 2 talks about how this is God's work that he's done, of what Christ did, not that any man should boast. As far as our eternal life, our salvation is concerned, there's nothing that we can boast in of that because that is the work of God. He died on the cross for our sins, and His ministry is one of reconciliation to the Father so that we can become children of God. That's the hope. That's the good news, that He gives us the promise of eternal life. That's the abundant life. That's the abundant life. If God blesses you and grants you the ability to have wealth or He gives you the ability to have nice things, You can enjoy those things and they not possess you, but that's not the litmus test. If you are prospering, (laughs) the true abundant life is eternal life. It's the promise of eternal life. It's going through this life and knowing, man, if I'm having a rough season, if I'm having a rough time right now, I can, there may be some discouragement in that or times that my emotions will get the better of me or get the better of you, but At the end of the day, we still, even in despair, even in discouragement or hard times, we can still, in the midst of that, still look to Christ and say, I have an eternal promise. This this world's not my home. This this suffering is only temporary. And yeah, there's going to be days that it's going to be hard and difficult and trying on you, and it's going to test your faith. But at the same time, you turn to Christ we turn to Christ, even in, even in, especially in the midst of our weakness, but in every situation we turn to him. That's the abundant life is eternal life. There is no promise of life without struggle and suffering. We're all going to endure things that are difficult, that are unfair, that seem unfair to us in our understanding. But Jesus has encouraged us by telling us that he has overcome the world. And we, as believers in Christ, have the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, indwelling us. And he testifies of Christ through us, and he helps us to be conformed into the image of Christ. And I don't mean in a deity. I mean he helps us to be conformed to the nature of Christ, to, be, to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit according to Galatians 5, to truly be Spirit-filled in the sense that we are growing in spiritual maturity. That we're demonstrating that there's been, because of the work of God in us, that we show outwardly that He has done that work. That there's been a transformation that's taken place. That we're not the same person that we used to be. And that we're going from faith to faith and glory to glory. And that, you know, it's not an overnight change, but people will begin to see Christ exalted in our lives because of what He's done. Not because of anything we can do. If it's based on our own merit and our own actions, it's not going to get very far. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. And here's the thing I want you to think about is, you know, Jesus talks about the, the yoke that he places, that he gives us. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. The reason why is because he walks with us. He is with us. He does not leave us or forsake us. He does not leave us as orphans. We are given a great promise through Jesus Christ. He does put a yoke on us, but it's easy and it's light. There is it's not burdensome. And if you're in any type of whether it's this movement or anything else where you're being told that essentially it's based on your works in order for you to attain something from God, that's placing extra burdens on you that you can't you can't bear under. But Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I am so thankful to that I have a high priest. Jesus is our ultimate high priest. He is the high priest. And he is ever interceding for us. And boy, can I tell you, I need his intercession daily. I need him to mediate to God the Father on my behalf. Because I am not my glorified state. I have not reached the state of glorification. And I know that because my body is is decaying. (laughs) My body, your body is decaying because we live in a fallen world. Our bodies are wrinkling. We can tell her they're decaying. They're wrinkling. We're some of us are not moving as quickly as we used to or we've got extra weight on us that we can't snap our fingers and get off. And uh, our hair is getting a little more. I like to call it sparkle. Our hair is getting a little more sparkle to it. You know, we haven't reached our glorified state. And not only that, but I can tell I haven't reached my glorified state because I am not truly perfect in how I respond to people, how I react to situations. I can still tell that every day there is repentance that has to take place on my part. When I'm not fully trusting in what God is doing and I don't realize that I'm not fully trusting, but when I'm trying to take things on my own and do them in my own power, that's things to repent of. When I don't have the attitude that I should have or I'm quick-tempered because whatever reason, if you're having a bad day or maybe your kids are driving you crazy at that moment or you don't convey the the patience and the gentleness of Christ, the beautiful thing is, is that as believers, we can go before Him and repent and say, thank you, Jesus, for in, ever interceding for me because I need it. We need Him every hour of every day. We've got to understand that our trust and our hope and our faith is placed in him for eternal life and that legalism is not the way he is the way there is nothing that we can do there is nothing any in any of this that is going to bring true freedom the only way true freedom comes to us is through Christ alone and then learning how to be led by his spirit every day and being conformed to his image every day and not bowing under the pressure of being legalistic, whether you're charismatic or not charismatic, not bowing to that pressure of being legalistic and getting exhausted and not trusting in our Lord and Savior, our precious Lord and Savior who died on the cross for us and gives us the promise of eternal life and who does not promise that we will not go through things in this world, but tells us, he does promise us, he will not leave us or forsake us that he sent the helper to dwell within us to lead us and to guide us, to instruct us, to comfort us, and that we lean not on our own understanding. So I leave you with these words today with that. Trust in Christ. Let him be your hope. Run from charismatic legalism because all this is going to do is frustrate, exhaust you, and lead you down a path that is not leading to Christ when you are not trusting in him and you're trusting in your own ways. Be blessed today. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.